check, 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 check a one, check a one, check a one, one. Ski. Yeah. Ski. Dog, dog. Okay. Ski. Dog, 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 dog. Show. Dog, dog, show. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Scott Cast. This is a very special occasion. Because I'm running the Boston Marathon, and I'm running on Team End Alzheimer's, and I'm spreading awareness. And I've been donating my time DJing for oldies, the oldies, the old folks' homes. I've been to the Our Island Home, and also the Sherburn Commons. And uh, I must say, when, the, when I did the Island Home, all the family members came... And uh, I don't want to name names, but it rhymes with Sherburn Turnpike. And uh, none of the family members came. So I don't know if I'll put that in there or not. Without further ado, I would like to. What's the word I'm looking for? Introduce. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I would like to introduce a very special person to me. Someone that's been a great supporter of my running and transformation that I've been going through these past five years. And she's been a great mentor and and just an all-around nice person and friend. So without further ado, Ms. Sally Ann Austin. Thank you so much. That was so nice. (laughs) Now I have to live up to all that. Well, you you always do. You always have. And so I appreciate that and I appreciate you. So thank you for joining me here today. And we have some, you know, important things to talk about. As I mentioned, I will be running on Team End Alzheimer's again. And uh, I'd like to state that Sally has has a mom in in the later stages of um Alzheimer's right now and it's um you know it's a real uh, tough situation but she's been so kind and gracious to come here and share that with us the love that I witnessed for you and that you have for your mom and uh the support that you give her it's incredible you um you exemplify you know what it is to be a great loving daughter and you know child of a so we we love our parents so much but it's hard you know when they get old sometimes you don't call them enough you don't yeah uh, you know you're not there you want you, you should be there more for them you know but sometimes maybe they don't want to be bothered but um but you come from a very close family you know you're an only child and I'm an only child yeah. that's you know my I'm a, I'm from a very close family also I think that's uh, that's important to me. So, thank you again for coming in. And then, uh, I guess my first question is for you: what What would you like? Okay, you've been a big advocate, and you've been very forthcoming with all the information. You're you're posting all these pictures. You're you're really being wide open with mm-hmm. this whole um, thing. A lot of people there's a stigma, so a lot of people are very closed mouth when these things happen but you have really put it out there for everyone to see and learn and you know why did you do that why did I do that because there is a stigma kind of around if my mom had say breast cancer I think 
um, you'd be much more open about it. If someone has cancer, there's like a fundraiser at the box. There's a fundraiser at the Rosen Crown. There's a, a food train that goes up and people bring meals to your house. And when you have Alzheimer's, people don't think about that. You know, my, my parents had a very traditional marriage. Um, you know, my mom cooked. Dad did not. So when it became harder for her to put a meal together, my dad was kind of lost. Um, and people didn't bring meals over. People didn't, you know, it was like I scrambled to find a way to let them live independently and probably not interfere too much. I didn't want to be the helicopter daughter, which I kind of ended up being anyway. But um, but I thought um, it's very lonely when you have Alzheimer's for the person who has it and for the caregiver and the family. And nobody likes to talk about it. And when my mom kind of, um, we knew she had it, and when she stepped kind of off the cliff into the throes of the disease, we were in lockdown from COVID. And I had um, no support. No one could come to the house. We couldn't take her out. She could no longer go to the salt marsh for congregate lunch. She couldn't go to church. And I think that's what catapulted her into that. And it was, um, it was lonely. It was locked down. There were, I, there were no resources. I didn't have anybody to reach out to. I had to cre- kind of create my own support group. Um, I found people on Instagram just kind of following, like, hashtag Alzheimer's, hashtag caregiver. Um, and this one person that I reached out to, she um, was taking care of her husband, and she lived in Provincetown. And she and I really made a connection, and I thought, wow, if I can be of some support or that connection for somebody else. And so I started really putting it out there because I just wanted to kind of normalize it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want other people to feel ashamed or, or alone or baffled. Um, and I've had people come up to me in the supermarket and say, you know, thank you. Thank you for putting it out there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's incredible. And um, that reminded me, you know, the reason I was running on Team End Alzheimer's is because my dad had dementia. And um, when when he lost his driver's license and he was not able to drive anymore, that's really when he started to go over the edge, I felt, when he lost that freedom to go do his dump run, do his routines. Do all that. We have a little uh, a visitor in here today, <laughs> Kitty Kitty. She, he's hanging out. So, um, yeah, I can relate to what you were just mentioning there. I have a question for you. You knew your dad, Vito, had dementia, Alzheimer's. But when was that aha moment where you kind of went like, oh, shit, this is really happening? <laughs> You know, I mean, all through the years, we we never really thought he was all there. <laughs> and uh, my mom and I, we used to make fun of him. He'd get so mad and he would mess up the English language. Or he had his own eloquent way of describing things because English was a second language for him. And he 
he learned it though. And so <laughs> it was just so interesting because he used to screw up his words. He would, you know, he kind of babbled a little bit. But uh, one time I came home when I, he came back from Florida for the winter and it was a springtime and I had lost 60 pounds, you know. He saw, he saw that I had lost weight earlier, but I don't think it really sunk in. So it, it had been six months since I'd seen him and I lost the weight. And we had a full-on conversation for 20 minutes, and he thought I was talking. He was talking to the neighbor. <laughs> so I was like, uh, I realized during the conversation, this guy has no idea who the hell he's talking to right wow. now. And that really, um, that woke me up. I mean, you know, there was alcohol. So there was a lot of times when then he would uh, not be, he would not be all there, right. you know, over the years. But this was a little different. And... Uh, and then I told him, I said, "This it's it's Scott. And he's like, no, Scott's not here. And I'm like, uh, Vito's not here. Yeah. But then he, um, he, <laughs> he, he realized it was me and he felt really bad. That was like one of the only couple times that I actually saw him noticing that something was wrong. Right. A lot of times it would, he didn't really, he was just kind of like, oh, happy go lucky. He, he didn't realize it was even going on, you know? So a few times I, I, he did. And I guess my mom told me later that he said, Jesus, I can't even, you know, recognize my own son. What the hell's going on? So he, he also told me one of his other famous quotes was, Scott, the golden years suck. Don't let anybody tell you that they're great. Yeah, you work your whole life. They promise you this and that. You get a gold watch or a trip to Italy. They never tell you that it sucks. <laughs> <clears throat> So now did he acknowledge that he had Alzheimer's? We no, he, no, it, it, a couple times I saw him noticing it, but for the most part we um we just danced around the uh subject. I, I mean it he knew something was wrong, but he did go to the doctor. They went to um a specialist on the cape and um they gave him some medication and that that just made him tired. He was like out of it, you know. So I thought of it more of like God's little gift way to like help him ease him out. But the sad part for me was he passed away less than 10 years after he retired from mm. coaching. So uh, I just felt that, you know, if, if he had had more of a focus, he, when he when he lost that power as coach, th it destroyed him. And um, and he he just he was never the same since, you know, and. He just couldn't embrace being um, retired, and and uh, it bothered him so much. So, if he had had more activities, you know, instead of just drinking wine, and then you know, he did his menial tasks. I mean, even though he had that, he would weed the whole, you know, two acres of his yard. Right? I mean, it looked like the back nine at Augusta. <laughs> And uh, it was, you know, his yard was amazing. And, you know, now that he's gone and I go over there, sometimes I'll see little remnants and reminders of things that he did or left little projects here and there. And, and um, it's it can be very uh, heartwarming. But what um, what other things would you like to put out there for people to understand more about this disease? What I um, found very interesting about this disease is you can have 
say, three people diagnosed at the exact same time, everybody's journey is going to be different. And um, I didn't know what to expect with my mom. You know, she didn't want to do medication. She must have known at some level something was going on because she had told her doctor she didn't want to do any trials, she didn't want anything invasive, and she didn't want to do medication. I think we were in denial for a little bit. I think my big, like, aha moment, like, like, oh, shit, we're in it, was when my dad, she was still driving, and my dad was taking his car to drop it off at the garage for some work to be done, and she was following him out there, mm-hmm. and she never showed up. And I got this panicked phone call from the dealership from my dad, and he's like, your mother never showed up. And I, so I'm driving out to pick up my dad. I'm thinking, oh, we're in it. This is it. This is the beginning. And there's a lot that goes on. It was like fear and shame and a lot of fear. And again, like we didn't talk about it. We danced around it. And now looking back, I wish we hadn't. It's like I wish she had been able to tell us that she was scared or confused or how she was feeling because she must have dealt with it silently for a long time. And I wish I'd had the knowledge and the tools then to kind of drag that out of her. So we could have been there and we could have, you know, handled things differently or better than than we did. But... You don't know what you don't know. And like I said, we were both kind of in denial a little bit. Um, I vacation in Provincetown a lot. And I'm usually there in October. And they always have an Alzheimer's walk. And we always miss it. And last year, we made a point of making it part of our vacation to do the Alzheimer's walk. And I saw this guy there, and everybody knew him, and he looked familiar to me, and I lived in Wellfleet for a little bit, so I'm like, looking at him, and I'm like, I must know him. And everybody's acting like, I'm like, is he a writer? Is he an artist? Is he on TV? Like, I know I know him. And he was like the editor or the publisher of a Cape um, newspaper. And he got kind of an early Alzheimer's diagnosis. And he got up and spoke, and you really couldn't tell that he had Alzheimer's, and he looked great. And then they mentioned that he was a subject of a documentary, and I always get the name of it wrong, so I wrote it down, Have You Heard About Greg? And it's about Greg O'Brien. He was 59 when he got diagnosed. And this documentary about his journey, his mother also had Alzheimer's. Hmm. And... It's so worth watching. I think it's on Prime. So worth the four ninety nine or whatever if you're going through this. Um, because he talks about things that he saw, what he felt, and times when he was scared. And then that opened up a dialogue with him and his mother because his mother had Alzheimer's as well. Hmm. And it's so incredible and it's so moving. And... Um, it made me realize I wish I'd had those conversations with my mom. I wish I knew when she was scared or when she was like, you know, you know, didn't know what to call a spatula or, you know, didn't know what to call something. Like she, she covered it up. Yeah, my father. I think that in a different way, he didn't want to 
look at it. He didn't want to talk about it. You know, he just wanted to kind of chill out on his own and not. Um, he didn't like to look too deep at things because I don't know, just old school Italian. You know, right. that's the way they grew up. You know, they their emotions ah, bury those. But uh, I used to bring it out in him. I remember he had a heart attack when he was um, he's fifty or sixty. 60 I believe his first one was 60 years old and you know he's downstairs he's, he's, he had a couple stints put in they recommended the open heart but he didn't want to do that so I, 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 I thought maybe in hindsight now if he had done the open heart surgery he might have lived a lot longer but he had the stints put in and um, you know he's downstairs he's drinking and smoking it's like three days later I have to be in intensive care in Boston Mass General and uh, I went down there and we talked about when we used to play basketball in the backyard. He had a little hoop set up for me and we would play full contact basketball. You know, the ref didn't see it. Bam! And he never let me win. He, he wouldn't let me win, you know? Like, he was so competitive in his insides and uh, that's the way he was. He put that in me. I love that. He never let me win. I finally won when I was 15, and I didn't even realize it, but it really bothered him. It drove him nuts. You know, my son beat me, you know, so I'm, I'm thinking, my son's going to beat me. He's already beaten me. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I talked to him about that. I went down and spoke to him. I remember that time we used to play hoop out there? He's like, yeah. I go, that was the best time of my life, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't want you to die, you know, can you, I don't got to quit drinking and smoking, you know, and he's like, that was the best time of my life, too. Now get the hell out of here. <laughs> so, uh, he, he, you know, he was very, um, he didn't want to touch on the subjects, you know. He wasn't real touchy-feely in that in that context. So it was hard to discuss. It, w- it was easier to sweep it under the rug. Right, right. Which is probably not the healthy way to deal with no. things. I think that's a lot of the old school, old Italian. Yeah. And my mom is... um. She's kind of a very stoic person anyway, and she's like, you know, don't air your dirty laundry. And so I, I think, um, and I was kind of, that's another reason I was so hesitant in putting her journey out there mm-hmm. because I'm like, I didn't want to like... Embarrass. Right. I uh, felt the same way when I was doing the, the, um, the marathon the first time. You know, Vito was still alive. Mm-hmm. I was running on Team End Alzheimer's, but I didn't want to tell him that's why I was running it that you know my mom knew but i don't think he really knew right i knew i did tell him i was running on behalf of him you know mm-hmm. and um but then he passed away a month less than a month i ran the marathon and finished it and then he died less than a month after that and then my son was born two days after that so it, it just it was it was i just realized that that i you know he died less than a month after I ran the Boston Marathon the first time. Right. So, so he never got to meet little Vito. No, he didn't. But he knew that my wife was pregnant with a boy uh-huh. and that we were thinking about naming him Vito or Kyle. And then... Oh. Uh, I <laughs> yeah, let... You made the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Nantucket is, um, you know, it's very remote out here and it's tough to... To, to get care right um what are some of the challenges that that you know someone with alzheimer's might be facing as far as urgent care is concerned 
As far as urgent care, one of the things that I found, because um, we had to make a few trips to the emergency room, um, that the doctors in the emergency room really didn't have a lot of training with Alzheimer's and dementia patients, that they just don't have a clue. And we were there doing tests and waiting for, you know, test results to come back. And we're sitting there and I said to the doctor, you know, after we'd been there for like three hours, can we leave soon because she's going to start sundowning? Mm-hmm. And if somebody doesn't know what sundowning is, it usually happens, um, the term sundowning is usually when the sun starts to go down, they have a personality change. Mm. But sundowning can happen anytime. And um, for us, it was late afternoon, like two, three o'clock, four o'clock, anywhere in there, it could start. And he looked at me and he said, it's too early for sundowning. And I'm like, oh no. I said, she starts at like three o'clock. And he flat out told me I was wrong. And I thought, wow. Um, And there were times that the emergency room would call me and say, your mother's here and we can't handle her. We don't know what to do. You need to come down. And I thought, you're you're a nurse and a doctor in the emergency room and you don't know how to handle a dementia patient. You know, Mm -hmm. it's... Um, so there was not a lot of training for these people in the emergency room. One of the things that um, we really, really needed, and I know I've talked to a lot of other families, and they said they needed it as well, was um, adult daycare. You know, we used to have an adult daycare program. My grandmother went to it. Um, it was so helpful because it gives the caregiver a break. They're in a safe environment they're active, they're with other people, they do art projects and whatever. Um, and it's so needed. And I believe the town got rid of that program years ago with the promise of bringing it back, and that did mm. never happen. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a funding issue or whatever, but it is so needed, and it is such a help for families. That was um, the biggest thing we were up against, especially with COVID, was getting... Um, someone to come in just to do respite care for my dad. Yeah. Like, um, I was still working full-time, and he just couldn't do it all himself. I mean, if he went to the dump, he'd have to take her with him, and then she'd get out of the dump and wander around. Hmm. <clears throat> that reminds <clears throat> me, um, you know, uh, some of the bullet points about Alzheimer's. It's one of the most expensive diseases to have, mm-hmm. and... Um, uh, usually the primary caregivers are the loved ones, the closest to them, and they are unpaid caregivers. They, yes. They, uh, they do everything on their own, um, which is just extremely uh, challenging, I'm sure. And, and, you know, my mom was, was that from my dad. Luckily, she was uh, quite a, uh, what's the word when you, um, when you take care of someone that you probably shouldn't? When they're spoiled. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she was a. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm the Tuna and Tucket High graduate, so codependent. 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 There you go. Thank you. Yes. So I was. We were codependent. My dad and I. We were basically useless. You know. Of course, somebody's calling me right now. What I find interesting is there's about a quarter of a million people under 65 with early onset in um, in the US right now. Wow. 
So under 65, that means you are not retired mm-hmm. and your spouse is probably your caregiver. So they would have to quit their job and they are now unpaid. Yeah. And I know in some states, people are going forward and trying to get Congress to make um, where there would be paid um, caregiver in that situation. But I often wonder, like, how do people do that? Like, I look at this this guy, Greg O'Brien, he was 59, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's like my age almost. Yeah. And I'm thinking, to get diagnosed that early... Mm. And you're at the the height of your career. Exactly. Um, And then your your spouse as well. And um, I know he had a son that um, helped with his caregiving. But, you know, it's like with me, with my family, I cut my work schedule back quite a bit to be there for my mom, for my dad. Uh, I was lucky enough I was in a position where I could do that. But most families, I mean, if you're two breadwinners, one's got Alzheimer's and the other one's a caregiver, what do you do, you know? And that's something I think that um, we really need to look at. Um, Like, what do you do in that situation? Um, There has to be some kind of caregiver pay. Um, I know we have a long-term care policy for my mom, and they do pay um, a family member at when you get to like the end of life situation. So if my mom's at end of life and I quit working to be with her, um, they will reimburse me. And but that's very rare, very rare. So now, when you look at your mom and look into her soul or mm-hmm. you know her eyes and what she's thinking, can she can still hear right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So she could feel love, mm-hmm. you know. Do you think she recognizes? What things do you think she recognizes and doesn't recognize? Because, like we were saying before, um, it's so different, you know. Like my father was aware; he wasn't mm-hmm. in late stages, right? Alzheimer's, you know. So, what do you think about that? Uh, I'm lucky that she still remembers my dad. She remembers me, and she remembers our minister from St. Paul's Church, Father Max, loves Father Max. Um, But other than that, um, she really doesn't remember any other family members. And I think part of that's because they're they're not around. Um, That's another thing, too, with Alzheimer's. It's very isolating. Yeah. People don't come around. Like, your friends stop coming around. Um... My family's two miles down the street. They they never came around, never showed up, never visited, never helped. And I think a lot of that's fear. People don't know what to do. People is like, oh, I'm afraid they're not going to remember me. What do I talk to them about? My mom is still pretty funny. <laughs> she um, she cracks her aids up on a regular basis, and she can be talking kind of incoherently to herself, like in her own little world, and then. Someone will walk by and she'll come out. Like the other day, the, the maintenance guy walked by and he had paint on him. She looked at him and says, did your, did your mother know you dressed like that? <laughs> <laughs> so she could, still has those moments of clarity yeah. that like she's like, bam. Um, 
she sees me or she sees my dad. She saw my dad the other day and she said, oh, she said, oh, I missed you, my husband. Nice. So it's still there. There's a definitely, um, you know, still love there. Some recognition. She knows, she recognizes a couple of people in the island home from her past. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a resident there that was Don't her. Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there's a resident there that used to live across the street from her. And that was the first person she gravitated to when she moved into the island home. Amazing. So I think there's familiarity at some level. And, um, you know, people would be um, surprised how aware they are. You might think they're out of it mm-hmm. and they don't know, but they do. Right. And they do. They feel love. Yeah. For sure. And they they feel, you know, touch and kindness and vibes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Music. Yes. Yes. Well, I really enjoyed playing music. For the uh, for the people at the island home, and um, I could just see the smiles on their faces was was incredible. It made you know made my day. Yes. And uh, do you think music is a good uh, facilitator for people with dementia or Alzheimer's? Absolutely. I mean, um, there was a resident there that you and I both know, um, who's in the much later stages, and she was kind of out of it. But the whole time you were playing, she was tapping her foot to the music. Mm-hmm. And we all thought she was sleeping, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, my mom, not so much. Like, um, we'd try to play some songs that, um, like, my dad used to play at home a lot. And yeah. she doesn't seem to respond to the music that much. Except you did play one song. You played some Ray Charles song that day. And, oh, yeah. and she started singing a little bit. But I think for some people, yeah, the music, absolutely. You know, I've seen it with other residents um, that they love, love the music, especially when you start digging into those like songs from the 50s and, you know, they're kind of their heyday days. It's like, you know, when we're down there and they start playing songs from the 80s. (laughs) That that music's coming back. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's uh, it's a crazy thing, you know, because life is just it just seems like it goes by like that. And, um, you know, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's about to go through this situation, maybe as a caregiver, Mm. a family member? Education. Just educate yourself. Reach out for help. I mean, um, the Alzheimer's Family Support Center in Brewster, these two girls, Molly and Melanie, are fantastic and I um, I have a couple of friends who have used them for resources um, yeah just reach out try to educate yourself I was almost afraid to educate myself and I think I had a fear of being scared or hurt or like almost like I didn't want to know I was kind of in you know denial mm-hmm. and you know you kind of have to arm yourself and prepare yourself and like once I kind of accepted that and started getting more knowledge and talking to other people that were going through the same thing, that's another thing. Like, yeah. um, an Alzheimer's support group would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but to hear what other people are going through and knowing you're not alone, and that's kind of why I've been so vocal about it. Just, um, you're not alone, and everybody's journey is different, so you really can't be a hundred percent prepared. 
And there were times where my family just didn't get it. You know, they'd be like, oh, well, why don't you do this with it? I'm like, you don't understand. Like, you can't, you can't leave her home alone. You can't take her to the grocery store anymore. You know, it's like your life changes. And sometimes it's you, it feels like you, almost, you have a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. And that was like from my dad. It was like he had a three-year-old. And he said to me, you know, I'm 83. There is a reason that 20-year-olds have three-year-olds, you know. And it was exhausting for him. Um, but I think like knowledge is power, definitely. So I think hit up all your resources, hit up anybody, you know, I mean, I've had people call me or message me on Facebook, clear out of the blue and just say, Hey, this is what's going on. What do you suggest? And I think that's amazing. And, um, and I accept, I accept that because if I can help somebody, um, yeah, I'm all for it because I, I didn't have a lot of help. I had to kind of create my own, reaching out to different people on Instagram because we were in lockdown. And mm. um, But, yeah, knowledge is power. Yeah, I mean, if anybody would like to reach out to you or me, I'd be more than welcome to talk to anybody. I love actually hearing um, people's stories. I don't like hearing the bad news stories, but I really feel incredible when people um, – you know, they, they trust in me and they want to tell me those stories. Mm-hmm. And it means a lot to me. Uh, I've been, that's one of the pleasant surprises that I've actually received from, you know, being out there and trying to uh, spread awareness and running and, and, um, and, you know, training so much to hear other people's stories. You put it out there and, and they came and, and they've told me things, you know, my mom has it, my aunt has it, you know, everyone knows somebody that's been affected by this disease. So uh, anytime anybody talks to me about it, I feel very honored and I love to um, commiserate. And, you know, one of the main amazing things that happened to me being on Team End Alzheimer's and running the marathon with these people was meeting these people and and really getting to know them they're going through the same stuff um that was something that i wasn't expecting you know i thought that i would run the race and i you know spread some awareness and um i knew that because who my dad was i could probably get on the team but i learned a lot i was humbled and then and that made me you know, really want to stay with it even after he passed away. Uh, another person my dad was a big fan of is AJ Malesko. Mm-hmm. And her mom, you right. know, her mom Bambi has uh, Alzheimer's. I think she might be in the late stages as well. And, and AJ has been an amazing advocate. They have their uh, Ice Out Alzheimer's yeah. event that's happened last year and again this year. And, you know, all of her friends come down. It's a very successful event. Former Bruins players. I should note that AJ was on the 1996 and was 96-97 uh, gold medal team for the women's hockey and she was she played at Harvard and she was the coach at Harvard and she's on uh, she's a big radio announcer now so my dad just loved her and I interviewed her on my TV show. I'm a big fan of her as well. So she's an amazing advocate for this disease and there's a lot of very for lack of a better term cool people that are you know that are involved with this so 
I would like to stay involved with it as much as I possibly can. And I don't know what I can do. All I can really do is talk to people and listen and help and try to spread the words around, you know. I don't know. I mean, I know they have a new drug out, but I, I think there's a lot of questions whether that's right, right. those heavy, heavy drugs. I, that scares the heck out of me, too. You know, I think that's why my mother um, left directives with her doctor. You know, no medication, no trials. Um, and I and I think that was smart. I remember um, my uncle came down, her brother came down and we did like a little intervention when we kind of could see something was like not right. Mm-hmm. And um, he said to her, don't you want to be able to take a drug if it's going to help you? And she said, no. Because hmm. it's not going to. I no. mean, I don't think it's going to help. There's you. nothing that cures it. You know, um, it's not like um, cancer where you can go and get treatment and you've got a good chance of, you know, continuing your life. I mean, you get Alzheimer's and there's that's it. You're just going to progress. You can kind of ward it off maybe a little bit. Yeah six months, maybe a year, whatever. Um, but to keep going back to your doctor and changing your meds and upping your meds and adding meds, mm-hmm. I don't think she wanted to, to live like that. You know, I think, yeah. you know, and I'm glad it was her choice. I'm glad she was. But one of the things I also um, have for advice to people is to, um, well, first, you know, ac- acceptance is the key. We all know that acceptance is the key. You have to accept it. And this is, this is where your loved one is at. And I see people like your loved one will say, um, oh, it's Sunday today and i got to go to church. And people will be like, no, it's not Sunday. We're not going to go to church. Yeah, it's Sunday. We have to go to church. And they just want to correct, his, them. correct them. And I know that's part of the denial. You have to learn to roll with it. You have to meet them where they're at. And that was the the biggest thing I learned is meet them where they're at and find joy in it there's so much joy just like just like having a child you know you can find so much joy in the little things it's the same thing when a loved one has alzheimer's you know they're like that little child again sometimes and um you know i try to find joy every day in something with my mom um i just kind of it's funny because now i find when i'm spending time with her everything else disappears like I'm so there and I'm so present and I'm so focused on her and I want to make the rest of her days as memorable as I can for yeah. me and for her. I mean, she might not remember. I might walk out the door and she won't remember what we did. But, um, you know, I think Finding Joy, actually there's a book out there called, I think, um, Finding Joy or the Joy in Alzheimer's or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I recommend that everybody kind of get that book and, and, and find the joy. There's, It's there if you look for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, don't be one of those loved ones or family members that regrets not spending right. more time with your parents right. when they're here. People need to put their fear on the shelf and just go for it because you don't know how much time you have. Yeah. Um, I mean, look what happened to Vito. It's like you just don't know. It was pretty quick. Yeah. It went down very fast. He, I mean, he had he had um, like hearing issues. He couldn't really hear a lot, so he he he's sitting in there and everyone's talking to me. He doesn't really understand what's going on, mm-hmm. you know. So that was like one first uh, step back from reality, I guess. And then uh, 
he kept forgetting to swallow mm-hmm. when he was eating. I think that's a, a that's symptom. That's a very common end, you know, end stage symptom, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a funny story. It's not very funny, but I'll share it anyway. <laughs> My mom probably saved his life about 20 times. I mean, she... <laughs> I think he might have been dead back in uh, maybe 10 years sooner. She kept him alive. She used to say, uh, he's hard to kill. But he, he, would, uh, he would say, I'm too old and ugly to die. But I never, he always, he was so mad when he got old and he didn't have that handsome Italian face anymore. But I still thought he had that, uh, that flair inside. Well, two funny stories. One funny story was he was very calm and, uh, you know, just like it wasn't him. You know, he was very high strung. I told you, don't do half ass. I can't stand half ass. But he got mellow in his old older years. I kind of I kind of missed that thing. The thing that I couldn't stand the most about him when I was fifteen years old was that he's always on me like a hornet or everything. And I, that was what I missed the most. All that when that was gone, I was like. God, I missed him when he was just on me. So uh, he had his heart attack. And, uh, he had a few, but one time, in uh, probably he was having a lot of problems at the end. This was about eight months before he passed away. He got flown off, and I met him at, in down in Rhode Island. And uh, his brother was there. His brother's a big Trump guy, you know, and he's over there, and he's talking about this and that. My father's on his deathbed in the... Right? And finally he goes... Will you shut the hell up? That's a crock of shit. <laughs> he goes, Jesus, I don't want to hear anymore of this conspiracy crap. And my uncle Gus, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know whether to roll over a piddle on himself. And uh, I was that big brother came out. And I was like, there he is. He's still in there. He's like, that's a crock of crap. And he, oh, I missed that. I missed that obnoxious, annoying, uh, you know, standoffish guy. And then the next story was he was choking one time and um, it was just my mom and him out in Surfside in the house and he's choking on a giant piece of steak. And he said, he's like, uh, uh. so she's, she knew something was wrong because all of a sudden he'll go quiet, you know? I mean, it feels like he was choking like once a month for my whole life, you know? And uh, we couldn't even have a dinner without him frigging choking to death over there in the corner. Like, Jesus, he's eating off the floor. He didn't like wasting food, so uh, he was he was a piece of work. Let me tell you, I, God bless him. I miss him too. And uh, so he's choking, right? And she's she's like trying to get it out, you know. And, he, and they, somehow I don't know. They went from the kitchen into the bathroom, and she couldn't get it out. It was all wedged in there. And then his eyes were rolling back in his head, and uh, and then she, she she saw this happening, and she's like, "Oh my God, he's gonna die right now." She saw the life leaving his body, and he felt she was holding him up, and she couldn't hold him up when he lost that, and he fell onto the ground, and uh, and she goes, "You're not gonna friggin' die now," and she kicked him in the back as hard as she could. So meanwhile, she went and called nine one one, and she came back, and um, she's checking, she's checking, and she kicked him again, and. Something happened here, and it came out. <laughs> and uh, he lived, you know. <laughs> but it was all because she booted him in the back. <laughs> oh boy! So yeah, he was hard to kill. 
So that was, but the other time when he actually did pass away was at the church. He loved church. In the end, he would go to the church a lot. He was going there a lot, you know, and he'd sit in that same place at the Catholic church. And um, so they had their big pasta dinner one night and the whole town's there, you know. The doctor that delivered both my kids was there. You know, the state police were there, the chief of police, the fire department, Everyone from the community was there at those those dinners they have downstairs, and uh, he I, I, he choked on a piece of Italian sausage, and Lepre always said the sausage was going to get him. <laughs> it did, so he was choking on a piece of sausage, you know. And uh, Doctor Cam was there trying to resuscitate him; it couldn't get it out. There was EMTs there. They called the uh, you know the the um, the ambulance was there within like ninety seconds, and. Everyone was trying to get out. They couldn't get it out. The priest was there giving them the last rites. I mean, if it, it, it couldn't have made a, it was a more apropos uh, checking out, right. if you will. So he did. He he died at the church that night. He well, they got him to the hospital, and I, I was there, and I prayed with him there, and I um, he was unconscious, you know. But the piece of Italian sausage was on the floor in the corner of the ER. It was big piece too. Anyway, I... Uh, That's a typical veto way to go, though. Right. Like the, the whole town there. Yeah. And, you the, know? Everyone was there. Yeah. Even... Um, it would either be that or he had to Jerry, like, drop dead at a football game, like one well, or the I, other. I thought he was going to die on the football field. Because that last year he was coaching, he had pneumonia, gout, friggin'. He was falling apart, and... Um, but he wouldn't give up. They didn't win one game that season. And he went, he's in there. And I was like, Pete, you, you don't have to do this. He couldn't quit. He wouldn't quit. He's dragging his carcass across the 50 yard line. I'm like, he's going to friggin' die. <laughs> and then his last game of all games was on the vineyard. They lose the game, but the icing on the cake was the, um, they took him out the whole team. There was a big play coming right at him and he wasn't paying attention and he just got leveled by the whole vineyard, uh, running back and he was out cold and Lepre said he looked down and he thought he was dead, but he came back somehow. He came back from the dead again and then finished the game and you know, he had a concussion and all that. And, uh, <laughs> now did he follow whaler football up to the end? Was he it, still? In the beginning, it was hard for him to. Um, he didn't go to the games. He wouldn't go to the game. He followed it. He he didn't. Oh you know, yeah, he followed everything. Um, he would go to the games and he'd sit up top there on, on Has Been Hill. Ironically enough, he he nicknamed it Has Been Hill, where all the losers that never or that played football, but they they never did anything else with their life, and would watch the games up there on Has Been Hill. And he used to say to us. Make sure you go to college and don't party and don't drink too much because you'll be like those guys on Has Been Hill. And then, you know, he was on Has Been Hill watching those games. And uh, when Manchester, Manchester took over and they won the Super Bowl in 2011, my father, he started warming back up to it. He showed up at the, um, the team came back. He didn't go to the game, but the team came back and we were there at the boat for the arrival and he was crying, you know, and then as Ryder started coaching, um, Brian was bringing him more involved back in, not as a coach, Brian wanted him to coach, but Vito never wanted to be assistant. He, mm -hmm. he couldn't of do course. that, but he was starting to come down to the sideline. He was, and then, you know, they were honoring him. Um, and he was able to 
accept it back in a little bit, you know, and he loved it. So he was going to games and it meant a lot to him. And so I, I felt that was something big that he did overcome because he couldn't even like look at the place at first, right. you know, it was very hard for him. So he, he, he had trouble letting go of things, you know, and uh, he just, he was an interesting character. <laughs> My cousin just had a baby yesterday and he named the baby Vito Gaspare Capizzo. Oh my God. <laughs> now there's two more Vito Capizos, my son and my cousin, my nephew. <laughs> so the, the legacy lives on, ladies and gentlemen. The legacy lives on. <laughs> well, we've been at this for a few minutes now. and um, I just got to put in a, a, a small plug for the um, island home. Yeah. They're in desperate need of volunteers, as we know. Um, so if anybody is interesting in, interested in giving us a little bit of time, could be like an hour a week or a half hour a week, we can do five days a week. Um, we desperately need, you just have to be vaxxed and I think at least one booster shot. Um, get in touch with Olivia at the Island Home if you uh, want to come down and volunteer. And as she said, even if you just come down and sit and hold hands with somebody or yeah. um, they're looking for people to maybe like um, play a game of checkers or, um, you know, help somebody with read their mail. You know, it's like there's small little things. Um, I was just telling one of the girls um, here, this time of year we normally have uh, 57 volunteers right now we're down to about seven Wow! and that a lot of that is because of um, COVID before COVID we know we had 57 mm -hmm. winter volunteers um, so yeah if anybody out there um, wants to be involved and wants to give us a hand we could sure use it yeah well I'd like to say on that note you know I did play music there twice and I must say I I went in there with the with the uh, mindset of I'm going to, you know, spread positivity and help these older people out. But actually, I <laughs> I felt like I was healing, yes. being healed myself. You know, I think I got more out of it than they did. That's how I feel. Yeah. That's how I feel. And it was amazing. You know, I remember speaking to uh, a couple people that anybody from Nantucket, if you go in there, you're going to know. A lot of those people and, and you know uh, at least one person if you go down there it, it's mind-blowing too yeah. especially because they're all uh you know my parents age our yeah. parents age and and um so it, it's really a walk down memory lane and i think it's so important to to honor our elderly absolutely you know in our culture now um it seems like the young people hate the olders i think i don't know I probably didn't like them. I did one thing I when I was young, I always knew that I could learn from older people. Right. The experiences. And actually growing up here in mowing lawns, there was an older lady, oh, Mrs. Um God, I can't I can't her last name uh, escapes me. But I used to think she was God and she was testing me. She'd pay me. She, first of all, she'd tell me these amazing stories about her. All her family went to Harvard and Yale. And um, they had a helicopter in the 60s. And uh, she said that all great men are landscapers because they work with their hands like George Washington. You know, they, they all had gardens. She, and, then, and she would pay me. And then she'd give me an extra 20% and make me go donate it. Oh, wherever, interesting. Wherever I wanted to. She said it's important to donate 20%. Interesting. And um, 
I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. And then I ran into her daughter recently at the chiropractor, and she told me about all about her. She like she gave my dad a car, and and uh, you know it was an old car, but still. And she was, but she, I learned so much from her. So that's what I'm saying. You know, the young people, you need to look to your elders. You know, don't blame everything on the elders. You, <laughs> it is partly our fault, but then you know the people did it before us too. So you can't really uh, point the blame. But I think we all need to kind of work together, no matter what your demographic is, because. The younger people are going to be taking over the world, and that's a fact. And then we want them to, you know, preserve what we had, the best of what we had growing up. Right. But we also want them to try to fix some of the mistakes we made. We got to communicate. So there's got to be an open dialogue between the olders and the youngers. Yeah. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. And like and being around young people is good, too, because yes. you you feel young, you yeah. stay young, you stay current, you know, and I think that helps. You got to stay active. One thing I believe is you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. In some aspect of life. Right. You need to go after whatever scares you the most. And then, you know, when you look at what those challenges are, the one that looks like it's going to be the hardest is probably the one you should do. Right. And... That's how I found happiness. I've, because uh, I've done a lot of procrastination and non-finishing of things in my life, and those shortcomings uh, bother me. So, whatever that's worth, I'm not. That'll get you a cup of coffee at the chicken box. Quote Vito Capizzo. <laughs> <laughs> and um, is there anything else you would like to uh, add? No, I just, um, like I said, get out there. That, that movie, Have You Heard About Greg? It's on Prime. Um, that was very helpful. Um, allsfamilysupport.org. Um, check them out. And, yeah. So I, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in for the, the first Scott cast of many. We're here at NCTV 18, and they have this new amazing podcast studio. Shout out to all the incredible, amazing people that work here. I would try to say all their names, but I wouldn't want to screw it up. Lisa, Frank, Jackie, and Katie, and I think there might be another one, but I don't remember that one. Those are the, those are the important, <laughs> very important people here. And, um, you know, I, NCTV is an amazing place. This community channel here on Nantucket, they have memberships available for people. And just incredible stuff. Learn how to be a filmmaker. You can check out equipment for free if you're a member. And, you know, I want to continue to do these podcasts here. We will be talking with other people that are affected by this disease. And I'm going to continue to spread awareness. If you'd like to donate to my cause, you can find it at Scott Capizzo, C-A-P-I-Z-Z-O, at givengain.com. Uh, so far, I've raised over $4,200, and uh, I'm trying to get up to 10000 We have approximately 68 days until the race. That's all right. Getting to crunch time. I'm running about 39 to 42 miles a week right now. and uh, That's less than two months. I know. It's less than two months away, but I've had some great that's, that's training. That's not a lot when you're training, though. 
Less than no. two months is not a lot of time when you're training. No, it's not. It's not a lot of time. We got a big run coming up this week. I'm going to, I'm traveling off to Boston every week. They have a long run, and you get to actually run on the Boston Marathon course yourself. There's thirty thousand people out there running through Wellesley, Newton, Natick, all these. It's it's amazing experience, and it's so fun to. Uh, that's another thing that blew my mind. The training runs. They're more fun than the race, you know? Everyone's out there having a good time. There's bands. There's playing. I mean, it's a real deal. The, the, the running culture in, um, in, in Boston, in this, in this area, in this part of Massachusetts, is, it's really strong and vital. So that Boston Marathon is an amazing experience. There's only 25 people on my team, over 150 people um, applied to be on team and Alzheimer's, but they only have 25 charity bibs available. So I feel so you're a charity case. I, I, am, I am absolutely a charity case. And then some, <laughs> so if people want to get in touch with you, what are your social medias? Just Scott Capizo or skeet dog 11 S K double E T O D O G one, one. Yeah, on, on, on Facebook, you know, but uh, Given Gain is G-I-V-E-N, Gain, G-A-I-N.com, and then my name, and uh, you can you can definitely donate. Be highly appreciative. I'm so amazed at the, at the generosity of the people. Sally, thank you for donating as well. Um, I went down the list today and looked at it all. I meant to bring them in so I could name the names off, but... Uh, I don't know if some people don't want, you know, to me to call them out like that. But what I want to say is it's been all walks of life that I'm blown away by the people that send money. If it's 20 bucks, 10 bucks, I don't care what it is. Most people send a hundred and it's, it, it just, it, it, it warms my heart, you know, because they believe in me. They believe in what this is all about and it makes, it validates my, my mission here, you know, like, like I said, I started out, I might have had selfish intentions, but as time went on, it, I've been humbled. And, and um, it's really, it sounds crazy, but I believe God is guiding me through this, uh, this whole journey here. And it's a challenge. There's, there's three marathons. There's the tra training of the marathon. There's the tr ra raising the money. That's another marathon. And then actually running the marathon. And then, you know, holding down a, a full-time job with a family and everything. So it's a lot, but it's totally worth it for me. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to see what journey, where my journey goes and continues on down this road. I mean, we're doing this podcast now, you know. It's amazing. And uh, so it's, I'm just so glad to share it with everyone out there. And hopefully you were entertained and you might have learned something. I know I learned something, and thank you, thank you, Sally Ann, for you know sharing. You are always welcome. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it's my pleasure. I've been just just like relationships like this that I've that uh, have fostered um, since this whole journey has begun. It's been so fulfilling to me, you know. Since quitting substances, uh, I've actually found some very meaningful friendships, and and it's. Uh, there's, it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's not, there's no ulterior motives and it's just nice to, to, to be around successful people 
everyone's going through something, you know. Mm-hmm. You got to put it out there. So, hey, I'm learning. We're all learning. It's a learning experience. And, you know, love your love your parents. Life goes by so quickly. Like, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me. So, at any rate. Keep watching Nantucket and wherever you are out there. We appreciate the support. We love you. We're signing out. Peace. Skeet. Yeah. Skeet. Dog, dog. Okay. Skeet. Dog, 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 dog. Show. Dog, dog, show. Skeet. Skeet. Dog, show. My name is Skeet Dog Baby, but you already know. I want to welcome you all to the Skeet Dog Show. Yeah, man. You know we putting it on. You know we get the job done. out there tonight are you feeling all right my name is ski dog 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 ski my name is ski dog 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 my name is dog 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 ski show about to bring it to you this podcast is brought to you in part by Nantucket Community Television. It was recorded in NCTV's podcast studio which is free for all members. The views expressed in this episode belong to the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of NCTV. To become a member or to learn more, please email info at nctv18.org.